Hi, welcome to the Wellness Doctors Podcast with Dr. Lorena and Dr. Vanessa. We are both medical doctors who talk about how to optimize health and well-being so that you can be empowered to make better healthy choices, enrich the lives of people around you and join us in the evolution of healthcare. Hello. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm good. There's a lot of thunder and rain going on here. And might hear oh. some thunder noises. <laughs> In the background. Some, can you share some rain with Australia? We are dying yeah, thirst here. I know. It's, uh, it's hot. It was very, very hot. Over 30 degrees today, this morning. And then just 15 minutes ago, there was lightning, cloud, and then just now pouring rain. <laughs> Oh, that's typical of uh, tropical yeah. places. Yeah. Yes, I'm not complaining. Um, I'm just grateful for the relief of the hot weather. Yes. Well, hopefully we'll get some. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> every time I mention I'm going to Australia, the first thing that comes up is, oh, how's the fire? And I'm oh like, yeah, well, it's really sad to see animals burnt alive and you know complete yeah. ecosystem destructed. Um, mm. But I learned nature is very resilient. So there are certain plants or trees that only fruit when there is intense heat. Mm. So they will hold on to their seeds until there's a, a bushfire, and it'll pop and spread the seeds. Because the idea is, well, if there's so much competition, there's no point really spreading your seeds because they can't mm, take ground yeah. and, and have enough nutrients to support it. But when you've burnt off its competition and that decomposes to provide nutrients, then the new saplings grow. So it's amazing how nature's figured this out. Yeah, it's natural <laughs> culling. Yeah, natural you know, evolution and um, selection for the strongest. So yeah. I'm always in, in, in awe of how nature always has these little tricks up its sleeve. <laughs> and recently Great. you were up the mountain, climbed up yeah, Mount Kosciuszko. Finally, backed one peak <laughs> <laughs> out of the seven continents. Yeah, back the shortest <laughs> one. That was great. Yeah, it's really nice. Anybody who wants to visit Mount Kosciuszko, highly recommended. Super easy hike, not strenuous at all. And you can tag something off your bucket list. <laughs> cool, cool great and so, talking about climbing up a mountain in hot weather and being sun exposed <laughs> today's topic talk, is about skin, skin health yeah so i know you're the expert on here so i'm gonna fire a few questions and <laughs> let you explain to the audience because i'm probably as clueless as most people <laughs> so um let's talk about the sun and UVA versus UVB rays because we're talking about um, sun exposure and the effect. Yeah. So it's interesting because in Australia, um, you're probably just hearing the thunder right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the top floor of the villa, so please bear with me. <laughs> we can still hear you, yeah. So, yeah, so, so talking about sun exposure, the sun contains both UV, UVA and UVB. And uh, a lot of the times when you're exposed to the sun, um, you get sun burns if you're exposed for too long. And that actually depends on your skin type. So if you have a lighter skin type, then you don't really, you can't really stay in the sun for too long before you start to get redness of the skin. So that becomes 
like a sunburn or sun damage. And that sun damage actually accumulates over time. So if you keep exposing yourself to excessive amounts of sun where you get that redness, burning pain, then as you start to get older, you will start to exhibit side effects or long-term effects of sun exposure. So the least life-threatening or the least um, dangerous is basically sunspots. So colors like freckles of the skin, discoloration, uneven skin tone, wrinkling. So that's more of the cosmetic kind of side effects. Then you've got the more dangerous types of side effects, which are skin cancers. So there are several different types. There's the squamous cell skin cancers, the, there's the basal cell carcinomas, and there are the melanomas, which is more the more of the serious one because those more are the aggressive. ones that can yeah more aggressive can spread to the rest of your body can go into your bones into your brain into your lungs um, so they can actually spread school, internally yeah in medical school they teach you in your squamous cell basal cell they generally localize so you see them on the skin mm. but with melanomas they can present as a secondary metastasis so you find them in your spine you know or somewhere else mm. in the liver and you don't know where the primary is and then unless you do a biopsy and see that it's actually a skin cell and sometimes you find mm. like this tiny little black dot somewhere down you know your leg and that was the primary you would never have guessed yeah that's right so that's why it's um something which is really important to be aware of from early on because we do need a certain amount of sun exposure because we need the skin to activate vitamin D. And we know that vitamin D is extremely important for bone health, for heart health, for diabetes, for Alzheimer's, for a lot of the chronic conditions. So on one, on one hand, we've got to have just enough vitamin D, but on the other hand, we've got to be careful of not exposing to the, to the, to the point of, of trauma and burning. Okay. I've got so many questions. So I learned that UVA is A for aging and UVB, B for burning. Is that still correct? Yeah, that's, that's okay. a good way. Yeah. That's a good way of doing it. Okay. So <laughs> when we buy a sunscreen and it says SPF and UVA, UVB, all these plus plus signs on it, how do we decipher what that all means? So when you actually, you want a full spectrum of um, sunscreen. So you do want both UVA and UVB because ultimately okay. you want to protect yourself against both. Then you've also got the SPF number that comes on the sunscreen. That's actually really important because it tells you basically how long you can stay in the sun for after you've applied the sunscreen. So generally speaking, if you actually say have an SPF of about um, 50, then it allows also about 2% of the sun's rays to go into your skin. Okay. So what that number means, should we aim for? Yeah, so it's a good question because if you look at typical sunscreens for daily use, then an SPF 30 is adequate. Okay. But yeah. If you're going outdoors in the sun and you're sweating, you're going up on Kosciuszko, for example, then you probably want about an SPF uh, of 50. So you want okay. a higher sunscreen, but that doesn't mean that you can just stay outdoors for hours without reapplying because there's sweating involved. So even though it's a higher SPF and you get less absorption of the rays, you still have to apply it every hour or so. 
What about um, different uh, chemicals, or I think some of them、mm. are minerals. So there's zinc oxide, titanium oxide, and different kinds of、uh, chemicals that help deflect the sunlight. What What would you say is a good choice? So you'll see clean choice. Yeah. Yeah, so with sunscreen, you actually want to make sure that you get a physical block as well. So zinc oxide is probably one of the best ones to choose,、okay. and、um, basically what it does is that it sits on top of the skin, so it scatters and reflects the UVA and the UVB like rays, like a mirror, like little mirrors. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so so that's a really good one to to choose, and a lot of dermatologists will also recommend that. Okay, and.、Um, Yeah, so that's that's generally what I suggest. So, I have to confess, I went kayaking and I wore a rash vest, which was blocking off the sun ray. I put on a cap, I put on sunscreen on my face and my neck, but I forgot my legs and I was wearing board shorts. So I didn't realize that、mm. on a kayak, <laughs> your thighs get most of the sun. Yeah, it's still not covered. So now <laughs> I've burnt my legs and they look like two Christmas ham hocks. <laughs> Yeah. So, how much should I be worried about a one-off、uh, sunburn? So, probably a one-off. Apart from the acute sort of pain and discomfort and stinging, it's probably not going to be a big issue. But it is an issue when you repeatedly over the years、uh, or regularly expose yourself to that level of sunburn. So it really depends. Each individual's very, very different. So again, it also depends on your skin type. Because、mm. if you're Asian, then you tend to have the yellower skin. So we consider it as slightly darker skin type. So your ability to withstand more of sun exposure is higher. But that's not to say that you won't get other aging effects of sun damage either.、Mm. So that's why it's quite important, especially. If you've got moles on your legs, because often people are not aware that they have dark-colored moles on their legs, they they over time, if if you have them and you are overexposing yourself and getting burnt, they can actually change over time.、Mm-hmm. So it's also about when they potentially precancerous. Yes, because they mutated. Yeah, yeah、okay. and it's really really common. <laughs> yeah, to see that. Yeah. So, so, what is the recommendation for how much sun you should get? Because I remember there's something about going out for,、um, you know, half the time it takes you to turn pink between certain hours of the day, three times a day or five times a day, depending on summer and winter. Is that yeah, it's accurate. It's it depends. Yeah, it, I mean, it really. I use an app called Dminder.、Um, yeah. Because I find that it depends also on which geographical location you're at, what color skin type you have, how much of your body, how much clothes you're, how wearing. Clothes you're、yeah. wearing. So it, I think that Dminder gives a fairly easy way of monitoring how much we're we're actually getting in terms of the sun. So yeah, that's that's generally what I would recommend.、Um, but usually, just the ballpark. It's try to get it between between the time in. Uh, in the early hours of the day, rather than late in the afternoon,、uh, early like one or two p.m. Probably before one p.m. up to two p.m. And you want to not just expose your face, which is often what a lot of、um, cosmetically aware clients are worried about. It's actually your arms and your legs and your back, so a larger surface area, and you want to、mm. be able to 
do that just for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If you have an average skin type, probably up to half an hour if you have a darker skin type. Yeah, and I read that the reason why when you get sun exposure in the early hours or in the late evening uh, and you don't make vitamin D is because the sun has to be at a certain angle in the sky. I think it's 30, 35 mm. degrees. So depending on your latitude, the further you move away from the equator, the longer it'll take for the sun to be directly yeah. above you for you to get that sun effect. Yes. And the second thing about the D-Mind that I found really helpful was I used it for a while to track and I measured my vitamin D levels in my serum mm. at the time as well because I had very low vitamin D when I first found out. And actually, when you do the D-Minder app consistently, it will also give you an estimate of how much vitamin D you're now making in your body and a, a blood level that mm. it estimates. And it was not that far off from my blood um, levels when I actually So when, how long did you use it for before you rechecked your blood levels? I think three yeah. months. And it wasn't like I was using it so religiously. You know, there are also days when you forget. But overall, it wasn't a bad app and it was free. Yeah, and I like that because it is free. So it's yeah. not an expensive um, uh, exercise to do. And I think it's probably the best yeah. way to get vitamin D because unfortunately, um, I think that the tough part is that a lot of people don't realize they can be vitamin D deficient. And when they and when we do oh. test them, and it's not really that expensive a test, um, it's just a simple blood test, and they're very very low. Then there's a lot of potential issues that come up because of these deficiencies. And one of the biggest questions is, where do I get vitamin D from? <laughs> yeah, and the answer is from foods, sunlight. sunlight. Those are those are important um, sources. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's that's also something that's really important. It's not to say that you should wrap yourself up all the time because you don't want to age, which unfortunately some of my patients do. <laughs> it's all about finding that balance yeah. for each person. Balance. I would say mostly if you could get it from the sun, that's the best way of doing it because it's free and it's natural and you get the full benefit of being in the sun, which means you're out in nature, you're doing a lot of things, so there's secondary mm -hmm. effects. The second source is probably from food. And because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, you generally find it in foods that are somewhat fatty. For example, fish. Uh, oily fish, like uh, wild-caught salmon. Uh, mm -hmm. Caviar is a good source. Egg yolks are a good source. Liver is a very good source. So if you're eating some of these foods, you are getting some vitamin D as well. And I think the last resort is if you really can't access sunlight and you're not eating enough to replenish or raise your vitamin mm -hmm. D level, then you might have to supplement. And the reason why I say you, you want to use the first two options first is because with supplementation, you're kind of artificially mm -hmm. doing it. So you're forcing the body to uptake more and it will just keep storing it in your own fat tissue. And so you can mm -hmm. overdo it. And there are complications when you have too much vitamin mm -hmm. D. So for example, it affects the way you um, metabolize calcium. And also uh, it would maybe increase the risk of kidney stones or osteo. Uh, osteophytes or you know bone related yeah. issues, calcium regulation in the body yeah, because we know that actually in the body vitamin a vitamin e vitamin d zinc and b6 they actually all require each other for action so if you're just supplementing in a very very high dose and, and some people um, do this without actually monitoring their levels 
because they might have just read it on the internet or they saw the benefits, so they're just supplementing it themselves and they're not really tracking it, can potentially cause a lot of these toxic effects. I have a story to tell about um, skin cancers because my uh, husband's Australian and so he grew up surfing and doing a lot of outdoor sports. And like you said, there's accumulated damage in the Mm. sun. And so when I first met him, he started to get basal cell carcinomas. So each year there would be one taken out and then two taken out. And then the next year with three. And there was one year there were four taken out. And I was thinking, oh, okay, if this continues, I might not have much of a boyfriend <laughs> you know, left <laughs> if they keep slicing off bits of him. So what I tried to do was um, did some testing. So we checked his vitamin D levels, which was actually really mm. good, uh, but also his homocysteine level. I increased his antioxidant consumption. I cut down on sugar and processed foods and refined mm-hmm. foods and just had a, a more um, conscious uh, attitude towards putting on sunblock. And, you know, some people, they put it on once and they go into the ocean or they go yeah. swimming and they don't remember to put it on again mm-hmm. so it's just little things like that and he's been basal cell carcinoma free for almost four years now so i think you can do things even though you've had that damage from when you were young to mitigate some of these effects and how the genetics are expressed and mm. becoming cancer mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and congratulations for getting him to comply <laughs> yeah <laughs> so well, when, I think when people see the benefit mm. and they feel that it's overall being better, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, so it's not just about the skin. It's also about overall your health is better, your energy is better, you're sleeping better, um, you're building more muscle mass, you're keeping a good level of body composition. So I think a lot of factors come mm-hmm. into play when you start changing your lifestyle. Yeah. And so they were all kind of secondary benefits. But the main point was, you know, you don't want to keep getting more cancers. Mm. And the skin is a really, you know, skin itself is an organ, um, which is a barrier, but also it reflects a lot of the nutritional imbalances that can occur in our body and can be associated with um, Mm. other chronic diseases. So, for example, um, eczema, which was a topic that we discussed previously, gut health and eczema, the immune system that's in our gut affects the immune system in our skin cells, in our skin health. Mm. So a lot of things are tied to the type of food that we eat, the quality of the food, whether or not there are preservatives and additives, and even just eliminating some of these things allows our body to have a lower burden of these things that we have to detoxify. And so more nutrients are actually available for other parts of the body, like the skin. Mm. So, so what are the skin conditions that are quite common? What about acne? Because I think a lot of people will have gone through teenage years having <laughs> acne or even into adulthood. Yeah. So acne is a really interesting one because often people associate acne with teenage uh, growth phase. And you'll often see teenagers with lots of red, angry, pustular looking pimples. And because they often want to be clear of it, they will pick at it, they will squeeze it, they will do all sorts of different types of things or creams to try to um, dry it out. So you see not just the inflammation from the acne, but I often also see scarring from acne, so different types of scarring. So you can get the more superficial Mm. scarring, which is what we call hyperpigmentation. So that's an increase in the melanin 
that's being produced by the skin yeah. cells as a protective reaction to inflammation. So we see that as a common mechanism in sunburn as well. You'll see that the, sun, the, the skin actually becomes brown. So you'll also get brown pigmentation of the skin. And the other one is atrophic scarring. So that means the scar actually, um, the, the collagen of the skin gets destroyed because of the acne, because of this, there's a lot of deep tissue inflammation. And so as the skin heals, it doesn't heal smoothly. It heals with a little indent. So you see this pocking of the skin that is, can also come, mm. that can also occur together with the, with the hyperpigmentation. So there's often a whole series of things that's actually going on at the same time. So to deal with that, the first thing is to control the inflammation and if you actually look at the growth phase, or often when I ask parents or the teenagers when they started getting acne, it's often the time that they've suddenly grown in terms of their height or in terms of their body size. And zinc is actually a really important mineral when it comes to making sure that the skin heals. And it's also a really important mineral in defense against infections. And Acne is often associated with a bacteria called Propionibacterium acnes, or the short form P. acnes. So I'm trying to talk over this thunder that's just occurring. So, so basically, there's a couple of things that acne, uh, that zinc is actually really important for in in acne. So that's that's a really important area to assess. And then, of course, the other thing is their diet because if they're also eating fairly inflammatory foods so things that are processed lots of sugar which we know incre increases inflammation all these things um, can actually contribute to the bacteria causing inflammation in the skin because the inflammation is often in the sebaceous glands where there's a lot of oil and if the oil itself doesn't get utilized properly and it becomes very inflamed, so there's an imbalance of the healthy fatty acids, like omega-3 fatty acids versus omega-6 fatty acids, then you've got this recipe for disaster. And yeah. So what about using very stringent things to dry out the skin? Mm. Well, wouldn't the theory be if it's dry, then you don't have this oil that would then create a, an environment for the bacteria to grow? Yeah, grow? so there's a lot of misunderstanding about drying things out because it's not always about drying the skin. The oils are produced as a protective mechanism of the skin. And you actually need to have oil in the skin because the skin actually contains vitamin A and vitamin E, which are actually protective. So it, the problem is that when the oil does not get secreted properly into the right places and the ducts get blocked and then you've got the infection of the bacteria plus you've got a deficiency of nutrients that's when the problem lies so mm -hmm. drying things out it's it's temporary it's short-term treating the symptom but again the inflammation can still be ongoing so that's why sometimes if you over if you over dry the skin by using topical treatments, you can actually become much more susceptible to more inflammation and you can get a rebound effect after you stop the topicals. Right. 
So what's the best way to take care of acne-prone skin? So I think one of the ways is to actually look at the diet because sometimes eliminating things that can trigger it. So dairy, eggs, sometimes foods that can contain gluten, wheat, certain nuts have all been uh, recorded to, to cause an exacerbation of acne. And so looking mm. at also additives, so things that are in your foods that are packaged and processed will often contain all these different numbers in the label. So starting by eliminating some of these foods is, is, a, is a good first step. And it usually takes about six weeks or so for the diet therapy to come into play. And you would yeah. also want to manage the inflammation. So sometimes I will combine topical antibiotics such as um, clindamycin because that's been used for a very long time. It's very specific for the P. acnes bacteria. It lowers, it's kind of like a skin dysbiosis in, in some ways. So by using a topical yeah. antibiotic, then you can actually help to calm down the inflammation while the diet strategy is coming into place. And also you can use topical zinc as, as a solution. Mm -hmm. So that also helps in terms of repairing and minimizing scar formation. So that's what I... Have you heard of probiotics Yes, you can also use probiotics, definitely, for sure. Hmm. So... Are they a specific type? No, or? at the moment, generally, they haven't really found a specific one for acne or rosacea. So I put them both in, this, in the kind of same category. Um, so any kind of probiotics yeah. is, it could be very helpful. And also even digestive enzymes, because a lot of the times, if you actually look at people's nails, so when I look at their face and skin, I also look at their nails and I look for signs of protein or zinc deficiency. So you'll see white spots on the nails. You can also see some ridging on the nails and you might also see some brittle mm. nails. So if they have that, yeah. then I'll ask about their diet and their, well, I'll ask about their gut symptoms. Do they have bloating? Do they have food sensitivities? Have they had a course of antibiotics in the past that's then triggered some of their gut symptoms? And if they have all these other issues, then I'd actually go and look at how do we help to improve the balance, the function of the gut. So things that... Were you talking about um, oral probiotics? Because I also know there are topical probiotics. Yeah. Have you had any experience I've not with used the topical, but I've definitely used the oral very, very um, frequently mm. because a lot of the patients that I see often have also irritable bowel syndrome and they also have skin mm. problems. So I do give probiotics um, because what probiotics do in the gut is they actually help to modulate something called substance P. And substance P is actually an inflammatory mediator in the gut. And this in mediator in the skin, it's also called substance P. It also actually helps to mediate the inflammation that's due to P. acnes. So if there, there's a gut-skin axis that has been described in a paper by Dr. Alan Gabby, and so he advocates using oral probiotics as a trial for people with acne or any kind of inflammatory mm. skin condition. Mm, okay. So, so diet is very important, obviously, in everything, mm -hmm. but specifically people neglect it in acne because they think it's more of a topical thing. Just put more ointments and creams on yeah. it. Um, and sometimes, you know, they even get given a lot of 
uh, antibiotics or very strong medication that could have a lot of side effects. And they take these antibiotics. Yeah, I mean, Roaccutane, in terms of psychiatry, the the first thing that rings of alarm bells is the increased Mm. risk of suicide and suicidal Mm. thoughts. Um, So long-term antibiotics is generally not a good thing. Um, And I think, you know, if we are more aware that there are other ways that can help, even though the results might not be as fast, but you can get definitely more long-lasting results that are overall healthier for your body. Yeah, and to be honest, I've worked with patients who've come to see me um, and they have been taking Roaccutane for a number of years. And what I found is that they will have some type of gut dysbiosis. And when we actually do the testing, we improve the balance of healthy gut flora and improve their nutrient absorption. They actually have significantly reduced their dose of, of roaccutane. For example, I had a patient who was taking 80 milligrams, which is a fairly high dose for a number of years. And so he, he, his doctor was great. Like he was regularly having his liver function tests monitored. So that was, that was never a problem. But he, the patient, um, also knew that he didn't want to do this for long term. So he came to see me for other things. But effectively, after about three months, he was able to reduce his dose to 20 milligrams, which is the safer level. And I think the plan is to continue to work on things like in his diet, his inflammatory markers, because they were still quite high uh, at the time. So um, improving his levels of B12 and folic acid was the next step. So that's something which hopefully, um, perhaps after a couple of months, um, he'd be able to try to wean off the racketine um, eventually. So keeping him on the 20 milligram dose is probably more desirable than continuously yeah. having him on an 80 milligrams because at that dose he was also experiencing a lot of dryness of the skin, um, which he, he really didn't want to be yeah, experiencing. Okay. What other skin conditions are very common in your practice? see a lot of rosacea. So that's another mm. inflammatory skin condition. And that's very, we, we know even from medical school that that's highly associated with alcohol, with spicy foods, with environmental issues like being in a very hot room. And of course, certain types of foods can, can trigger it. And the worst kind of, and I think SIBO yeah, as well. Yeah, SIBO, H. pylori infection um, of, of the stomach is also associated with it. There's a lot of flushing that goes on. So, so for our audience, can you explain what rosacea is and what causes rosacea, what we think are the factors? Yeah, involved? so with rosacea, you see similar pattern of bumps that are red with pustules all over the face, mm. but it's often associated with what we call telangiectasia. So these are fine vessels that you can also see around these pustules over the cheeks and the nose and forehead. And these Mm. vessels are highly reactive. So when you eat certain foods that trigger it, the face flushes and that can become very chronic. And over time, because in men, the nose is much more affected you can actually get something called a rhinophyma, which is a thickening of the skin, looks like cobblestones of the nose. Um, 
So rhino, rhino being like thick, thick skin, skin. Like, like the rhino, the rhino. <laughs> yes, like rhinoceros, like, pretty much like yes. that. So that tends to occur mostly in men. Uh, so they have a very bulbous mm. rhinoceros-looking nose, and unfortunately, that's not reversible. So you really don't, you really want to treat this um, before you get to that level because the only treatment for a rhinophyma is surgery. So mm. that's um, so various. Uh, things need to be done. So first thing is to rule out H. pylori infection, not just because of the rosacea, but because this infection also increases your chance of stomach acid. And most people don't necessarily have symptoms of indigestion yeah. or reflux, so they might not know that they have it. It's also very common amongst family members. So if someone in your family has it, then it's probably worthwhile having a simple breath test that you just have to do to check it out to see whether or not you have the um, infection. And the treatment is also fairly simple. It's a course of antibiotics for a couple of weeks and then a retest to make sure that mm. it's been treated. So that's the first thing to rule out. And the mm. other thing conventionally is to give a course of antibiotics. But like I said before, we want to also look at the entire patient. So if they have the nail issues, if they've got dry skin, if they've got gut symptoms, we want to replace some nutrients. And again, zinc comes in because zinc is not just good for the skin health, but it also helps to make adequate amounts of stomach acid. And that's important because stomach acid will help prevent the H. pylori from coming back. And it also helps mm. with the mucus lining of the stomach. So you get better absorption of nutrients. So um, again, probiotics is the other one that can be helpful as well. So yeah. sometimes I actually use a combination of antibiotics and probiotics at the same time. Mm. So depending basically on what, what shows up in the testing so, yeah, I, I see a lot of okay. patients with rosacea have um, complaint of not being able to digest very well. So they'll eat a meal, which is maybe heavy in protein or fats, and they'll often say, well, I, I don't eat those foods because they cause bloating or it sits in my stomach for a long time, so I avoid them. And so they do that over time thinking that's, that's good, but then they also miss out on the nutrients like vitamin A, vitamin E, zinc, B vitamins, and then over time, their rosacea actually starts getting worse and they don't often make the connection. Hmm. So I use that and I also use some topical vitamin A depending on uh, yeah. what, I, what I find. So I'll use that in conjunction with um, cod liver oil. It's one of my favorite types of oil to use because it's got good doses of vitamin A, vitamin E, a little bit of vitamin hmm. D and all the other cofactors that that go with metabolizing these oils because you want to make sure you've got all the other things. And, and I always keep talking about zinc because zinc is needed to make the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acid become the anti-inflammatory fatty acids in, from your diet. So, And I remember you told me once, was it vitamin A? Or was it zinc activating vitamin A to help with skin turnover? Yeah, that that's correct? right. So that's oh, really okay. important. So if you are taking these massive high doses of vitamin A, but you're not really seeing a result, well, it could be that you don't have sufficient zinc. You're zinc deficient. Yeah. Yes. And so you need 
all the team players to work together. Yeah, and also when you're talking about the healthy omega-3 fatty acids and even omega-6 fatty acids is actually really important for skin because a lot of people think, well, omega-6 is, is not so good, but actually it goes down the anti-inflammatory. As in it's pro-inflammatory. Yeah. So, so people think omega-6 is pro-inflammatory and we want to reduce that as much as possible. So people try and cut it out, mm. which I think is fair given that most of the diet we eat, if it comes in processed food, is high in omega-6. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is omega-6 is important. Is there a specific type of omega-6? It's more the anti-inflammatory type. So it gets converted in your body via an enzyme um, called delta-6 desaturase, which is the same enzyme mm. that converts omega-3 into the anti-inflammatory pathways. So that's why you need to have adequate omega-3 to make the omega-6 pathway go down anti-inflammatory pathways, but they can compete for each other. And so if you're zinc deficient, you're not going to get the effects of either of them. So there's a hierarchy there. So you want to make sure you've got enough zinc on board. And then you want to make sure that you've got a good balance of the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. So um, is the omega-6 arachidonic acid? Is it the things that you find in evening primrose oil or barrage oil? Yeah, so arachidonic acid is the inflammatory part of omega-6 fatty acids. But you've also oh, okay. got the anti-inflammatory so prostaglandins. Bad. So okay. the omega-6 will go down so, the prostaglandin pathway as well. And then you'll actually get the anti-inflammatory so, effects. Okay. So what are we looking for in terms of omega-6? Like for the listeners, if they want to get some supplement or something that helps with the omega-6, what are they trying to look for? What so supplements is helpful? gamma linoleic acid, for example, is a good source ah, of okay. omega-6. So you can get that from in evening primrose oil, borage oil, so they, they will, obviously, they can still convert into the arachidonic acid pathways, but it is mm -hmm. much less likely. So you, you can actually get that from most vegetable oils. And is that dependent on your lifestyle? So if you have a less inflammatory lifestyle, the body needs to make less inflammatory stuff. Yeah. So it will divert it down the better pathway of GLA. Yeah. So again, like the, the, pro, the, the anti-inflammatory anti pathway. pathway. Yeah. yeah. So that's why even with taking the gamma linoleic acid, you still want to have sufficient omega-3 first before you do that. Otherwise, what it does, it will actually um, cause the desaturase enzyme to go down into the inflammatory pathway. It hijacks that process. Hmm. Mm, okay, so there's a bit of a competition there. Yeah, so sometimes um, I think we just focus on omega-3, but I have also seen the evening primrose work really well, for, especially for women who have the premenstrual kind of acne breakouts. Yeah, I remember that working quite well for me. Yeah, so again, because those fatty acids are also needed for hormonal production, so progesterone in the second half of the cycle is actually anti-inflammatory. So if you're supporting that particular pathway, then you're getting the benefits of the hormones acting on the skin as well. So, yeah, there are lots of different layers to inflammatory yeah. skin conditions, acne and rosacea. Well, I guess there's also one aspect, which is 
psychological stress because a lot of people would say that when they're stressed they break out in acne mm. yeah and again it's a it's a it's a question of what's happening to the gut when you're under stress because we know that gut permeability increases when you're under stress so when you're stressed you're also craving more sugary foods and more processed foods so there's multiple areas where the response to stress can also be contributing to the inflammation and the process of of skin health. Hmm. So what would you say is a uh, a very like a like a routine or a kind of a protocol or regimen that most people can follow that would uh, bring about the best effects for skin health? We're not talking about just cosmetics or, mm. you know, the pathology of cancer, but, you know, what would you generally advise someone? Yeah, well, a lot of the times it's really, it really starts from diet. And I remember a patient who came to me and she was in her mid-50s, um, school teacher, and she came because she was really tired and she felt her skin was very dull, almost tinging on a yellowish, grayish color. So she wasn't coming to me directly because of the skin, but she was saying that she could tell that her health wasn't optimal because she could see her, her skin was just really dry and dull. So the first thing I said was, well, what are you eating in terms of food? So she was just eating sandwiches and fast foods and packaged foods and drinking coffee. lots of coffee because <laughs> she was stressed at work. And so one of the things I said was, well, could you actually have a plate of colorful vegetables? that's the color of the rainbow because with the color of the rainbow, you're getting your yellow vegetables, which is where your beta carotene is. And then you're getting red colors, which is where you get your lycopenes and you're getting your blue colors, which is your anthrocyanidins. So these are all flavonoids and antioxidants that nature provides for us. So getting her to just eat a plate of vegetables, I wasn't changing anything else. I said, if you didn't change anything else and you just ate a colorful plate of vegetables once a day or as frequently as possible, you could have a really drastic change. And after about two weeks, she actually did that. She came back to see me and her skin was actually glowing. So I, even I was mm. surprised. I said, wow, you look fantastic. Like you, you look great and she was really happy too because she started to notice even at the age of 50 without using any expensive products like Le Mer or Chanel or buying anything <laughs> over the counter beauty products yeah, or any yeah. expensive it was it was yeah machines and lasers right, yeah. and all that <laughs> didn't even, she didn't even need any injections from me or <laughs> any of the other aesthetic protocols but just changing that um had made a huge difference to how she was feeling in terms of her energy and in terms of her digestion and her skin. So there's a lot to be said about making sure initially um, that you get into the, people get into the habit of having as many colorful vegetables and fruits as, as much as possible. So that's one thing that I would start off with. And the second is to make sure that we have good digestive function and we're chewing our foods. We're incorporating healthy fats from nuts and seeds and good quality animal protein, grass-fed, um, wild-caught fish, because you really want to get the best nutrients without all the chemicals and pesticides. And slowly incorporating those foods in, into 
the diet because often a lot of patients will say, well, you know, I want to protect my skin, so I'm not going to go in the sun. But the reality is that the skin also absorbs a lot of these phytonutrients that we know will protect us from the free radicals that the UVA and the UVB generates in, in the skin. So it's not that the sun is just damaging, but, you know, the type of lifestyle that we have also is important and protective. And that goes with wrinkles as well. So if you're getting less and less mm. collagen um, as we age, one of the things is that our ability to make more collagen from signaling molecules also degenerates. So we're not getting that signaling. So things like zinc and copper are really important for that signal to occur effectively. So that's why um, in Chinese culture, if you go to the health food store, you'll actually get oral collagen peptides that are on the shelf. And it's on a lot of um, shelves in, in Asia. So one of the things that people get confused about is does that collagen get into the skin? Well, it actually doesn't. What the collagen does is when you take it orally, it actually upregulates the pathways that stimulates your own body to make more collagen in your tissues. So that's mm. not specific just to the skin, but it's also to your bones, your tendons, your ligaments, your cartilage. So it's actually everywhere. So I think getting... Well, so the, is, the result is the yeah. same. So your skin looks better if you eat more collagen. It's just the mechanism. It's not about just replacing it. It doesn't go directly right. from your gut into yeah. your face, <laughs> but it's actually getting your body to make yeah. more, which uh, I guess for the, for the general outcome, you know, as long as it works, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, and it's not that, like, you don't even have to go and buy expensive collagen. Like, for example, if in Chinese uh, recipes you stew beef tendon, that's a really great source of collagen. Uh, chicken mm. feet soup, yeah. for example, um, that's a really great source yeah. of collagen. In, or bone, bone, bone broth, broth, you know, for some people yeah. who, yeah. So, and it's easy enough to even buy collagen um, supplements or powders mm -hmm. that you can add to smoothies or I love making uh, jello with uh, gelatin yeah that's a good sauce and putting a little bit of fruit in it and then becomes a bit of a dessert mm -hmm. so it's not so hard to try and fit it into your diet it just becomes part of your yeah. meal so there's so many different ways of getting collagen and the important thing also is to have it with vitamin c when you're having collagen because mm. that helps improve mm. the absorption of collagen so mm. that's a really great way from food of getting it. And um, so my, my fruit jello, yeah. basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's so, so many different ways of, of getting, getting it from food. And I often um, have patients ask me about my own diet and skincare routine. I actually am very, very lazy. So I have to admit that I never use a face mask. <laughs> at any point in time because <laughs> I just don't have the spare 15 minutes where I'm just lying down and doing nothing I find that very very difficult yeah. so um, but I do make sure that if I'm going out in the sun that I use good quality sunscreen that I hydrate my skin that I use good quality topical antioxidants that contain zinc and copper and all the other amino acids but mostly it is really from eating a whole food diet and if I put my own skin under a UV black light to look at pigmentation I will have an 
I actually don't really have a lot of freckles or pigmentation in my skin because a lot of these phytonutrients are quite protective. Oh, so speaking of freckles, my mom, my sister and I all have freckles, mm-hmm. which you know. Um, is it somewhat genetic? I mean, is it that I'm not doing something well enough or is it potentially just the family So skin? Asian skin is actually quite interesting because there is a condition called the nevus of hori, which is common amongst lighter skin type, Asian skin type, and yellow skin type. And this is actually, there is a genetic and hormonal component to it. So they can come in various different colors. So some are bilateral brown pigments that look like freckles, but they're very symmetrical on both sides of the cheek. And then you'll get ones that look more like a grayish kind of color that also have the same pattern. Mm. So those are also genetic. And that usually appears in your early teens or 20s. And you'll also see it across the family. Yeah, I had it. Yeah. Yeah, I had it very young. Yeah. So, so it, and, and of course, again, if you go in the sun, these pigmented cells will also produce more melanin. So they do get darker in the mm. sun. So often they are confused with freckles, whereas freckles are actually just in the top layer okay. of the skin. So the nevus of hori actually goes below that, and they're often in the dermis. And because of the hormonal component and the genetic component, even after treatment, they can come back. So when I say treatment, they can go, they can be anything from topical bleaching agents to laser therapy. So Mm. I will often use a combination of both topical bleaching and also some laser therapy. And some patients, they probably will have no recurrence for five to 10 years, but some will have a bit of recurrence depending because if they have children, then their hormones also changes and fluctuates, then they can have a recurrence of of those pigments as well. So sometimes it's a combination of different types of treatments and a lot of people are quite different. So the treatment for nevus of hori um, can, can respond very, very well to laser therapy. So I I use quite a bit of that, but there are certain side effects which could be burning because of the high energy that you have to treat it with. So you can't do treatments that are too frequent. You want to space them out, say, over a couple of months before you do the second treatment. So, yeah, so any kind of laser treatment in the meantime, you also want to make sure you have good photo protection, that you're not overexposing your skin. Because after these treatments, your skin is often more sensitive to light as well. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the, the take-home message is if you do see some skin condition or some skin changes, go to a doctor first <laughs> and get a proper diagnosis. Because although it looks like a freckle or a something quite benign, it could be something, yeah, a mole or it could be something different. Mm. And so like we talked about at the beginning, it could be even a melanoma, which can be potentially quite serious. Yeah. So just before you start doing a lot of home skincare routines that mm. are potentially a bit more aggressive, definitely get checked out first and uh, get the right recommendations and follow the general lifestyle changes and uh, nutrient-dense uh, diet. And I also have to say that if you do follow the lifestyle changes, even though it might take a 
longer time to see a result, it often requires, it often sets yourself up for better resilience to aging. So it means that you actually don't need as many treatment as frequently as somebody who hasn't really looked after their skin. And I see this really a lot in my patient pool. Those who've done the lifestyle changes and they're just coming in for maintenance and 10 years down the track, they still look exactly the same as they did when they were 30 years old, but now they're 40. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I guess that's quite a lot we've covered <laughs> today. So <laughs> broad spectrum of skin conditions. So thank you so much, Lorena. I've learned a no lot problem. today. And I hope uh, our listeners also found it very yep. helpful. So, well, I seem to hear that the thunderstorm has stopped. So I guess you can go and <laughs> the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the day outdoors yeah, again. Yeah, hopefully you'll also um, stay cool down under. For this is yep. And I definitely put on sunscreen yeah. now. <laughs> Just yeah. think about all the money that you'll be saving. <laughs> yes, down the road. <laughs> all right, Great. thanks, Vanessa. All right, see you next Chat time. Next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You can find us at anantawellbeing.com and follow us at anantawellbeing on Facebook and Instagram. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review to help other like-minded people find us. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and is not intended to treat or diagnose any medical condition. This podcast and its producers disclaim any responsibility for adverse effects that result from the use of this information. Opinions of guests are their own and are not endorsed by this podcast. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions. We do not make any representation or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Both producers and guests may have direct or indirect interest in the products and services mentioned. If you think you have a medical condition, please consult a licensed physician.